Welcome to season five of These Are the Words. I'm Eric Groon. Welcome. Bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts, which we are about to receive from thy bounty through Christ our Lord. Amen. <sighs> Uh, 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 wow. Uh, oh, Lord. Oh, God. Lord Jesus, thank you, Lord. Yeshua HaMashiach, thank you, Lord. You are the Messiah. You are the Chosen One. You are the Anointed One. You are the All in All. We worship you. We worship you. All right, guys. So <clears throat> I have a book called uh, False Beliefs. False Beliefs. The Serpent Seed Doctrine Myth. Two concepts that are destroying the gospel of Christ. By C.L. Schaffer. By C.L. Schaffer. Okay. <clears throat> C.L.S.H.A.F.F.E.R. is the name of the author of this book it was copywritten in 2018 and again in 2020 and uh, the table of contents goes as thus the serpent seed doctrine section 1 chapter 1 non-biblical non sources for the serpent seed doctrine chapter 2 the old testament and the serpent seed doctrine chapter 3 new testament and early christian writers allegedly Supporting the Serpent Seed Doctrine, the supposed corrupted biblical text. Section 2, the Kenite Myth. Chapter 4, Kenite, uh, Kenite Myth Commentary. Chapter 5, Kenite Myth and Strong's Concordance. Chapter 6, the Flood and the biblical text that keeps getting in the way. Section 3, the Nature of Angels. Chapter 7, Angels look like us, therefore they can procreate. Chapter 8, Giants versus Nephi'il. Chapter 9, The Giants After the Flood. Chapter 10, The Sons of God. Chapter 11, Angelic Alteration. Section 4, Other Shared Beliefs Among Kenite Myth Supporters. Chapter 12, 
uh, e.w.bullinger and the Companion Bible, chapter 13, uh, Pyramidology, chapter 14, Evil Moonbeams, chapter 15, uh, Alexander Hislop, um, The Man Behind the Legend, chapter 16, Other Miscellaneous Beliefs of Kenite Myth Supporters, Section 5, Other Common Beliefs of the Christian Identity Movement, and consequently those of the Kenite Myth Supporters. Uh, chapter 17, Pre-Adamites. Chapter 18, Hazar or Khazar, Theory and Edomite Myth. Chapter 19, Anglo-Israelism. Chapter 20, Other Commonalities Among CI Movement Supporters. Bonus section, How to Read Your Bible Correctly. Special Acknowledgements. This is... Uh, a book packed with uh, just juicy material, real uh, juicy material. I, I can't wait to get into it. The foreword. I'm going to read the foreword. It's short. Only a few years after I became serious about my faith, I was made aware of the teachings of the of the serpent seed doctrine and Kenite myth. At the time, I was a novice when it came to the Bible. I had the general concepts down and probably had more knowledge concerning the New Testament than I did regarding the Old. To me, the Old Testament was an intimidating array of genealogies, ceremonial, and cultural practices. I simply did not have enough information concerning the Old Testament to say for sure that these notions were unbiblical. Over time, however, I began hearing more and more strange ideas from the Kenite myth camp, ideas that I knew, even as a young Bible student, were biblically inaccurate. This prompted me to look into whether the Kenite myth was true. One disturbing aspect of this search was discovering that these concepts were identical to the beliefs of the Christian identity movement, a group that has undeniably anti-Semitic and racist motivations. The teachings of those involved in the Kenite myth were often presented as if they did not belong to any particular group. When I discovered this was not the case, I was more motivated to find the truth. This book is the product of that search, what was intended to be a few bullet points published in a brochure or several entries on a website has turned into a full-scale book. Such is the life of a writer. A few words on racism and anti-Semitism. And folks, I want to just interject real quick. My own, uh, coming from me, uh, anti-Semitism is not actually anti-Semitism. As somebody pointed out, uh, a rabbi of uh, uh, that I pay attention to, um, he so boldly said that it really is just about being anti-Jew. It's anti-Judaism, it's anti-Jewish, it's uh, anti-Jew. Um, and so the Nazis uh, of uh, the Third Reich um, outright said it. Uh, they were not against Arabs. They were against, because Arabs are Semites too. Um, there are, uh, like I, I did, uh, I think the first two seasons, I talked about... Um, the relationships between Africans and uh, Middle Easterns uh, or uh, people uh, in the Middle East or uh, Mediterranean peoples or um, uh, <clears throat> uh, Mesopotamian people uh, or Canaan Canaanites or the people of uh, we know of, no, of we know of, of what was called Asia Minor or um, around Turkey and uh, um, and Canaan, which is called uh, also Palestine, or um, the Jordanian region, uh, the Mediterranean region, 
um, the North African, East African region, the relationships. I went over uh, either either in the first season or second season or both. Um, and so anti-Semitism is really, as we know it, is anti-Jewishness or anti-Jew. Okay, a few words on racism and anti-Semitism. I do not believe that everyone ensnared by these beliefs has a racist or anti-Semitic aims. Leaders of this system do a good job using Old Testament ignorance and persuasive techniques to draw in new or uninformed Christians. They also do not blurt out their beliefs. If they did, perhaps new believers would see the, tr un the untruthfulness and ungodly intentions in them. Instead, these ideas are vaguely revealed over time, demonstrating a strategy behind the teaching. Throughout this book, readers who are unfamiliar with these ideas will no doubt be tempted to throw their hands up and say these beliefs are simply racist or anti-Semitic. But if we all, but if all we do is assert that a notion is racist or anti-Semitic and do nothing more, particularly now when these terms have been overused to such a degree they have lost much of their meaning and sting, we have done nothing to advance the truth. If all you say is you are being anti-Semitic when you preach these beliefs to someone, where has it gotten you? Either the person will deny it or won't care. Either way, you have gotten nowhere with the individual. For some, these beliefs are simply God's truth. The concepts they represent are how things are, or how God intended them to be. For this reason, my focus for this book is to demonstrate that these views are not God's truth. After all, the goal, with the help of the Holy Spirit, is to bring people out of falsehoods and into the truth. Okay, and there's a section called Tall Tales and the purpose of this book. I'm going to read the purpose of this book. Wherever possible, I have supplied the address of the home content website page or the exact website address if the content is too troublesome to access from the, the main page. This will allow readers to locate a text more easily read it for themselves and come to their own conclusions. I see this book as a sort of catalog where readers can jump in and start their search. In today's world, Christians have no excuse for not finding truth more readily. With just a few clicks, a person can read original documents and end their dependency on the secondary analysis of someone else who may have an underlining presupposed ideology. I also made an effort to find online sources for the opposing side's arguments to allow the reader to see those viewpoints firsthand. Uh, the downside to providing online sources is that websites and articles can be deleted, revamped, or moved for aesthetic, personal, or financial reasons, resulting in broken links. Of course, on author or publisher... An author or publisher can also remove a book from publication so, as, so any source is somewhat tenuous. Online sourcing, however, is far more so. The solution to this problem is that readers can search for the topic at hand if they should come across broken links within the foot, footnotes of this book. In doing so, they will undoubtedly find Christian identity movement sources professing the searched for subject matter. The hope is that one day repented hearts will delete these sites, but until then, readers have this option of a general topical search if they come across broken links within the, the book's footnotes. My, my sincere desire is that this work will be a blessing to readers who have found themselves or their friends, family, or church members involved in these teachings. In particular, this book will be most beneficial to those who have begun to question this system. Even for those inquisitive readers, my my words will not be will not do the difficult surgery of of severing the connections to these beliefs. Only the work of the Holy Spirit will be able to draw you or your loved one away or your loved ones away 
from such ideas. Hopefully, in some small way, this book will aid in that departure. Okay, that being said, let's commence in our reading. And I would like to say, on a side note, um, there is uh, there is an identity that is Christian and that belongs to this idea of Christendom. Christendom. Um, and it is somewhat of a reversal of God's kingdom. Uh, in, uh, this is what I mean. Um, that the priority is um, the identity of, with, with Christianity or a particular sectarian Christianity, or a particular uh, um, denomination, or a particular way of uh, worshiping God, a particular um, way of viewing God uh, that is mostly cultural, and it's mostly cultural, and, uh, it, and it is to be respected as such, but... Um, if you're rely, if you're relying on a sectarian uh, point of view, a worldview, or a denomination, or a particular way of worshiping God um, as being the 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 end all, the beginning and end all, uh, the being and end all of of uh, of your relationship with God is not it's really superficial very superficial and it is only what um what like new believers come into this uh change because we change the culture of the world we exchange the culture of the world for the culture of christ for the culture of god and of the the Christian faith, um, but Christianity is has has only to do with being a little Christ. Has only to do with being like Christ. Has only to do with having faith in Christ. Has not has nothing to do with the culture that we've we've uh, made ourselves a part of. So whether you are a Messianic Jew, or whether you are a Baptist, or whether you are uh, quote-unquote non-denominational, or whether you are um, a Catholic, or whether you are Orthodox, or whether you are... uh, But Orthodox means correct teaching. Orthodox, Orthodox just simply means correct teaching. If you are correctly teaching from the Word of God, from the Bible then you are orthodox and it, and it, you must teach the bible as it is as it is but um if you are relying on your culture to become the culture in the world that uh you believe that christ is using your particular denomination or your way of of worship uh as as uh, bringing his kingdom to the earth, then it is incorrect because it is an incorrect understanding because the God of the Bible says that he will bring uh, all the nations to himself. He will bring all cultures, all nations to himself. He is the God over all cultures and he is the God over all nations and he is the God over all peoples, Jew and Gentile. Okay, so, but, uh, that being said, I tend to personally be attracted to um, the Orthodox teaching and the Orthodox, the Greek Orthodox, or Russian Orthodox, or American Orthodox um, Church, the Christian Church, and uh, I tend to agree with what, everything that they do, and also uh, the Messianic Jewish tradition I find that to be very enriching and beautiful and uh, I encourage anyone who's listening to to look into it and to to um, 
you know, stop in one of the one of the Orthodox Christian churches, or the uh, stop in a Messianic Jewish synagogue, you know, um, and uh, you know, worship with other believers. And uh, so, we should be able to, as Christians, we should be able to step into any church, any synagogue where there are believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, and worship with them. And uh, worship with them because it is in spirit and truth that the culture of God is worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth. Okay, not not uh, uh, not according to a particular sound of, of music, a particular style of music, or a particular style of preaching, or a particular style of how to do church. Okay, so our faith is not churchianity. Or synagogianity, it is Christianity. It is um, Judeo Christianity. Okay, so that's one thing I want to get straight. Anyway, I'm going to do something that's different in this season, season five. I'm going to read from this book, False Beliefs, the second edition, the Serpent Seed Doctrine, and the Kenite Myth. And I'm also going to read portions of the Zohar, the Book of Splendor, basic readings from the Kabbalah, as uh, it is written by, uh, it was edited by Gershom Sholem. Gershom Sholem. So he is a famous uh, writer of Kabbalah. And I'm also going to read from scripture as well. As a matter of fact, I'm going to take the scripture. And the Bible that I'm using, folks, is the New American Standard Bible or New American Standard Version. And it is uh, the Bible that is uh, very easily used in uh, Strong's Concordance. Strong's Concordance is a... Um, a dictionary for the Bible. It, it has. Uh, it, it's. It's a. It's a dictionary full of the words found in the Bible in English, and it. Uh, you can. You can find. You can look up um, the Hebrew words and the Greek words that were used in the original manuscripts of the Bible, uh, and compare. Uh, like, like, let's say you wanted to um, know uh, about a certain word in the Bible. Let's say, um, uh, so uh, I opened up just randomly. So I'll just open up and I'll, I'm going to read from this, uh, from this portion. The priests, First Samuel 22, the priests slain at Nob. Okay, so David departed. So if you looked up the word departed, for, for instance, in Strong's Concordance, you would find the Hebrew word that is used and the Greek word that was used in the Septuagint um, as well. So you can look up the Hebrew and Greek words of the Bible. And it's cool because Hebrew and Greek have a, give it a fullness. So if... I encourage you to not only read the Bible in English, but look up the words in Hebrew and in Greek and explore and study a little bit of the Hebrew because the Hebrew has meaning of each letter has meaning. Um, there is a symbolic meaning behind each letter in Hebrew. And, um, and also uh, the Greek gives it more. It, it, it gives it more full of a mean, a more meaningful uh, richness. It, it enriches the meaning of, of what you're reading because in Greek, it is also in Greek. Uh, if you study Greek, you know that uh, certain words are used in various ways and various understandings, and so. Um, it very much is study of the Bible, very much is um, study of, it, it, it is a Greek philosophy. It is definitely, most definitely a Greek philosophy, the entire book, the entire Old Testament and New Testament, as well as it is a Hebrew philosophy, okay? So if you take the Bible just as it is, and study it in the English and the Hebrew and the Greek, 
You have Hebrew, Greek, and English philosophy in it as it is. You don't have to go to other sources. But now we're going to read a book uh, talking about the serpent seed doctrine and Kenite myth um, that has to do with the idea of Cain, Cain, as in Cain and Abel, the two sons, the two first sons of Adam and Eve, or Adama and Hava. Um, Cain and Abel being that uh, there's an idea that says that Cain is the son of the serpent. And that Cain is the seed of the serpent. That the serpent mated with Hava. So anyway, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read from this. I'm also going to read from 1 Samuel 22. And I'm also going to read from the Zohar. Okay. Chapter 1. Non-biblical sources for the serpent seed doctrine. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. 2 Timothy 4.4. 4. Okay. That is from the Bible. That's a, a quote from the Bible. In the misty early days of human history, an encounter supposedly took place that forever shaped a specific portion of humanity. Those who believe in it contend that the episode was so dark and nefarious that those in leadership purposely hid it, purposely hid and denied it. <clears throat> For some, this event is so central to their Christian faith that all other beliefs are filtered through it. This occurrence is the alleged sexual encounter between Eve or Hava. Actually, her name is uh, Hava. Let's look that up real quick. Um... Let's see. Eve's name. Eve's name in Hebrew. Uh, okay, yes. Hawa is the most commonly believed to mean the living one or source of life or mother, as it says in the Bible, mother of all the living. As it is phonetically similar to Haya, to live from the Semitic root Haya. But Haya, uh, it's another, I was listening to a rabbi and uh, he was saying that the serpent was trying to make her name from Hava to Haya. Um, or from Haya to Hava or something like that. I think it was Haya. Yes, he was. He he wanted to name. Uh, okay, he wanted to like. I think make her name into Hawa, and her name was Haya. Okay, Hawa is taken from the Hebrew word Chai, or alive, the living. The Septuagint translates Hawa in two ways. The first, Zoe, Zoe, or life preserves but zoe is spiritual life means spiritual life preserves the hebrew meaning but the second elwe or, or, or the second ewe or ewan makes no such effort um the the name haya is or hava is awfully similar to yod he vav he in, well, the Yod is in the beginning of Yohed Vahe. That's the name of God. The Yod is in the beginning. But He is in the beginning, the first letter. Minus the Yod. He, he is the first letter. Uh, so, let me see. That might not be correct. <clears throat> Uh, 
Let's see. Chava. Uh, let's. They don't give it written in Hebrew. I oh, know. I'll, I'll go here. This is important, guys, because uh, okay. Uh, let's see. Eve. Okay. Let's look at this. Okay, Eve. Oh, let me see. Hawa. Hmm. Let's see if I can find it. Eve's real name is part of this whole thing. Chava, Chava. It says here, okay, okay, now it's written Hebrew Chava. <laughs> that's not it that's not it you see even if you look online you're not going to find you're not going to find it it's very difficult even it's, why is it difficult to find the name of 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 Eve and like uh, the, the the Hebrew that was given in this Wikipedia page uh, is farm <laughs> so they didn't get it right this is another. This is an interesting thing because is it the is it the het is it the het or the hay that begins the 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 name? Okay, I, I might as well just look in scripture. The name Eve as written in Genesis. Okay. Uh, okay, so... The name Eve in Strong's Concordance. Might as well be... Might as well put Strong's Concordance to to work here. Okay. Strong's Concordance. Chava. She is the mother of all the living. Life, the first woman. Chava. The mother of all the living. Okay, now. It is actually the. It is spelled with the. Chet. With the Chet. Het. Okay. And in Gematria, in Gematria, it is comes to the nineteen, nineteen, or one. It's reduced to one in uh, Hebrew uh, numerology, the gematria. Hebrew 9, 1. It is, um, yes, it is. Um, it is uh, chet, chet, not hey. Chet, 
is Chet is eight, and uh, Vav is six, and um, He. Okay, so Chet Vav He, Chet Vav Chava He, Chava Chava Chava. As it is, that's what how you get Chet Vav He. So Yod He Vav He. Yod he vav he, chet vav he, yod he vav he. Okay, yod he, take the, take the yod he out of half of God's name and the other half vav he and add a chet in the middle, uh, in, in, the, in the beginning, sorry, in the beginning. Chet, instead of the yod he, yod he, yod he and chet, yod he. Yod is um, the tenth letter. Yod He. And it's replaced by Chet. Okay, so God's name is, is uh, Chava's name is part of God's name. It has part in God's name. Like half of God's name is uh, two thirds of of Chava's name. Okay, so we're gonna call her Hava, or we if we call her if if the book says Eve, I'll read it as Eve. Okay, so okay, <laughs> enough enough being sidetracked. So okay. Okay, in the misty in the misty early days of human history, an encounter supposedly took place that forever shaped a specific portion of humanity. Those who believe in it contend that contend that the episode was so dark and nefarious that those in leadership purposely hid it and denied it. For some, this event is so central to their Christian faith that all other beliefs are filtered through it. This occurrence is the alleged sexual encounter between Chava or Eve and Satan or the serpent, referred to as a serpent in the biblical text. Supporters claim that Eve became pregnant through this incident and gave birth to Cain, the serpent seed, quote-unquote the serpent seed, Several non-biblical sources contain this doctrine. The Babylonian Talmud, the Midrashic work, Targums, the Zohar, and the Gospel of Philip. All right. <laughs> so, I didn't know the Zohar contained it, but... Uh, it's uh, no coincidence. Nothing happens by coincidence because uh, I'm including the Zohar in this reading in this season. Okay, the Gospel of Philip. So I don't know about the Gospel of Philip either. Okay, so those are the non-biblical sources for the serpent seed doctrine. Okay, so Babylonian Talmud. The Babylonian Talmud is comprised of two main parts, the Mishnah and the Gemara. The Mishnah is the Jewish oral law or oral Torah, as in passed on or, uh, in an oral tradition, orally, like uh, spoken, a spoken word, written down about A.D. 200. So it, up until A.D. 200, it was just the oral tradition. And so Jesus, in his day, and his, uh, well, every day is the day of the Lord, but um, in his time when he was on earth, he uh, knew of the oral tradition, but it had not been written down yet. It had not been written down yet. It was written in A.D. 200. For those within Rabbinic Judaism, the Oral Torah is believed to be a verbal explanation provided by God to Moses 
on how to interpret the Torah, the written law. And so this is what Jews go on today, even today. This is called Rabbinic Judaism and is different from Messianic Judaism. Messianic Judaism uh, um, considers the, the New Testament Bible, the Christian Bible, as the Word of God. And Rabbinic Judaism does not. Okay. Um, Rabbinic Judaism, the Oral Torah is believed to be a verbal explanation provided by God to Moses on how to interpret the Torah, the written law. The Gemara was developed later. It is a commentary on the Mishnah, the Jewish Oral Law. Two versions of the Gemara exist. One version developed in Israel and another in Babylonia. Out of this, two different types formed, the Babylonian Talmud and Jerusalem Talmud. As a commentary on the Mishnah, the Gemara within the Babylonian Talmud contains whatever utterances had for centuries... Uh, sorry. As a commentary on the Mishnah, the Gemara within the Babylonian Talmud contains... Quote, whatever utterances had for centuries dropped from the lips of the masters, quote. Due to the indiscriminate manner by which this material was collected, many times such as fables, tales, and pagan folklore became a part of the Gemara. Different sects within Judaism exist, and each has its view of the Talmud. For example, the Karaite Jews... The Karaite Jews do not see the Talmud as having any authority. For those within mainstream rabbinic Judaism, the level of authority varies from one Jewish denomination to another. For the Christian, the discussions and debates amongst the various rabbis within the Talmud can, at times, seem to veer into excruciating detail, even absurdity. If nothing else, reading the Mishnah and the Gemara within the Talmud can help a Christian be more appreciative of their liberty in Christ. Um, so yes, it, it, uh, the, the Gemara or the Mishnah, the Talmud, I know that the Talmud is essentially like what Hasidic or Orthodox Jews um, uh, try to follow, you know. But the New Testament, Paul talks about, the new t uh, in the New Testament, Paul talks about how we are free from the law, how we are free from the curse of the law. Because God made his law so severe, okay, so severe that it would it would reveal to us how we are fallen, how we are fallen from grace, how we are so fallen far from God's glory, how we are unable, uh, incapable of, of uh, following the law to the T. Uh, but God requires, in the Old Testament, God requires that we follow the law to the T, to be accepted or to be uh, righteous and to be able to stand before him and to be able to stand within his presence, his presence, his peace, his love, his presence, his spirit is so holy, very set apart, so perfect that if it were not for the grace of Jesus Christ, and we do not really understand that grace if it was not for the grace of Jesus Christ, that sacrifice of, uh, that he gave on the cross to, to save us, we would be destroyed because God in his holiness is a consuming fire. He consumes all that is impure. He destroys all that is impure. And so if we do not follow the law to the T we would be destroyed. That's why they had to tie a rope around the priest when the priest went into the Holy of Holies by himself in a secret place and did uh, the sacrifice and, 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 uh, and, um, 
and uh, was before God, he would be standing in God's presence. If he didn't, if he didn't, if he wasn't cleansed, if he didn't have the merit of righteousness, of God's righteousness, if he didn't have faith, the faith that was required of him, uh, he would drop dead because God's uh, presence would come and he would die in, in the presence of God. He would just drop dead. And they had to pull. And so attached to the rope was little bells that uh, would ring and if it would stop, if it would stop tingling, if it would stop tinkling, uh, it would, if, if they heard, if they didn't hear the, the ringing of the bells of the rope, they knew that the priest would drop dead and that he didn't have the merit and they would pull him out because no one would be able to go inside to be in the presence of God. So God reserved and preserved his presence in the Holy of Holies. He allowed himself to, to uh, be in a, a cloud of glory, a cloud of his presence in the Holy of Holies, where only the, uh, a priest that was qualified could stand in his presence and live and continue with the atonement sacrifice. And so Jesus Christ is our high priest, and he atoned for our sins on the cross and he, and he tore and he ripped the veil. It says in the New Testament, he ripped the veil of the Holy of Holies and he allowed his spirit to be poured out onto all flesh, all flesh, all peoples. And he poured his spirit out first onto the, the apostles and he made the apostolic succession onto his apostles and his apostles through his apostles. And through the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, his apostles then, then spread uh, the teachings of Christ. And, and then spread not only just the teachings of Christ, the message of Jesus Christ, and the testimony of Jesus Christ, the testimony to God of Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. But he, they spread the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if you are a believer, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, if you have faith in God, through Jesus Christ, you have His Holy Spirit. You are anointed by His Holy Spirit, and you are received by His Holy Spirit, and you have the promise of His Holy Spirit, and you are sealed by the Holy Spirit, and you have the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So, um, it is very important uh, to follow Christ, because His mercy allows us to be able to follow His will, and to follow his law, but um, does not require us to be perfect in the law because that is the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ and his salvation. It allows us to, to live eternally for him and to, and to uh, in other words, allows us to be able to make mistakes and, you know, that is, you know, we fall short in sin and his mercy, his grace and his forgiveness covers that. His blood, his, his blood, we are covered by the blood. We are covered from head to toe in sin. We are sinners. We are sinners. And so I've been praying this prayer and I encourage you to pray this prayer. This is the Jesus prayer. It's very powerful when you say it. Uh, sincerely, and you say it very intently, and you have intention. And we learned last season the importance of intention in your prayer field, in your prayer field. And this is the prayer that I align myself now. Uh, I've been praying this, and, and the Lord has been humbling me and giving me uh, peace, a peace that transcends all understanding. So it, it, the Jesus prayer goes like this. Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Jesus Christ, Son of God, 
have mercy upon me, a sinner. And you can say it, uh, if you uh, don't say it, like I, I, I was listening to a priest talk, uh, talk about the Jesus prayer, and he recommends saying another prayer um, in the beginning first. Uh, like let's say we can say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. And then we can say, In the name of Jesus Christ, I ask you, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Lord. And so it's not, uh, so the priest recommends to say other prayers to make you in the mood. Make, maybe uh, you can recite a psalm in the Bible. And, and the psalm is like the, the prayers of David. And uh, you can recite a psalm and then you, you can repeat uh, this prayer, the Jesus prayer, for about no more than two, three, four, or five minutes. No more than five minutes, you know. If you do it two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, five minutes, but it's it's just uh, it's a very um, it's a prayer from the heart, and so you have to pray it like trying to connect with your heart and meditate. It's a meditative prayer. It's a contemplative prayer. So it's it's very powerful, and I recommend it to anyone. Anyone can pray that prayer, um, but try to pray it in a sincere way. Okay. Uh, I'm going to end this um, end this episode one and continue it. I'll continue and I'll I'll continue episode one in two episodes. I'm going to break it up since uh, this podcast is only allowed for one hour. <laughs> so uh, I, I'll continue with this episode in the next episode um, right now, actually. <laughs>